What's going on, guys? Happy Sunday, February 7th. Uh, we are here. I got my coffee. We're going to talk some finance. So I, I don't know why I committed to this last week, but since we brought up all of the GameStop uh, news and fiasco, I, I just figured it'd be fun to talk about my my thoughts on that whole thing and I guess also where that has kind of led. Now, here's the thing, guys. I'm not, I'm not an expert. So if you're watching this looking for expert advice and analysis to tell you what to do, I don't know. Um, and you probably shouldn't be listening to me. So this is not advice. This is more so just my perspective on where things are going and how, how it's kind of leading into cryptocurrencies, which is a space that, again, I'm not an expert on, but I have been following for several years and uh, I'm very fascinated by it because there's a lot of really, really cool things happening. And I think that this will be another big year in the way that 2017 was. So before we get too crazy with it, going to have our sip here if you'd like to take one with me. So for those who are trying to understand what happened with GameStop, the... The short squeeze and then the subsequent selling that followed and, and well, not really the selling, but the not being allowed to buy on several brokerages. Again, there'll be better videos and actually what I'm going to do uh, and what my intention was is because I'm not the expert on this, in the show notes for this, there will be a bunch of resources which I feel like will be helpful to point you guys in the direction. Um, especially for the GameStop stuff, and then also kind of what I'm following in the cryptocurrency space. So you can you can see where my head is at and who are the people that I'm listening to. But what fascinated me about the GameStop the GameStop situation the most is how it led into the decentralization of cryptocurrency. Right? People saw just how rigged the game was against them. Uh, with you know brokerages uh, that I won't name, but uh, there were several of them, um, high-profile ones that uh, did not allow you to buy, and essentially should have just shut off trading, really. And so obviously it sounds like there will be investigations into that, but I think what people realize is the fact that at the end of the day, if you're betting against the house, you're most likely going to lose. Now some people came away with quite a few gains, right? But most uh, probably lost money. And the thing is, it for me, you know, I, look, I, I bought a small position at a high price just to be just to be very transparent. But it wasn't about making a quick buck. I think I looked at that and I saw a powerful financial entity trying to put a company out of business by selling by short selling their shares at over 100 percent of the the amount that was available, right? So this happens in Wall Street all the time, and I'm sure for those who are following the space or have recently started following the space, you're now familiar with this, you're hearing this, and it sucks, right? Because, uh, you know, the, the one thing that that got to me, um, and I'll, I'll share it because I think it was Anthony Pompliano that shared a tweet that said, you know, this is how you know that the game is rigged against you. When they do it and retail investors lose, it's fine. But when retail investors do it and they lose, they turn the game off, right? And I'm paraphrasing one of his tweets, but that that to me was was kind of like the highlight, if you're going to take anything out of that. So 
you know, investing finance is something that I, I am incredibly passionate about. I think it's important uh, for everyone to educate themselves. And what, what makes me upset, no, not upset, maybe disappointed is the fact that we aren't really taught this growing up right? You don't learn this in school. There's no dedicated place. And me coming from uh, an immigrant uh, first generation community here, it's just not as talked about as, um, as it is for, for other, other communities, I'm sure. So, you know, I, thankfully for me, like my, my parents understand the space a little bit more. You know, my dad was in accounting, so he understands it. And, and therefore I had some exposure to investing and the value of investing growing up. But in terms of like saving for retirement and all this other stuff, I, as a community from where I come from, and, and really it's not even just the immigrant community. It's, it's in general, I'm just talking about like the educational system. We we're not really taught this. What's an IRA, right? What's a, what's a 401k? Like you learn this stuff after you leave school and are focused on your job and whatever. And there's all this, like you're getting money for the first time and then people are telling you not to spend it and to save it for when you're 60 years old. Like I remember having that thought in my head of like, why would I ever do that? I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 60, right? So we're, we're not really taught the value of that in a structured, cohesive way, in the way that you're taught basic math or English or reading. And I think it's important because there's so many traps that people fall into when it comes to debt and financial burden. And, you know, we, people leave uh, school, they get their first job, and the first thing that they do is they go buy a car and all of a sudden they got this $500 payment or whatever it is every month or they buy a house. And it's like, and I'm not going to get into all of that. We can save that for another episode of, um, of this, but it's it's more so just the financial literacy education isn't there. Um, and I think a part of that is the fact that Wall Street wants you to believe that this is complicated and you should just leave it to them. And and most people do. So, so seeing this movement where everyone got involved for maybe the wrong reasons, right? Because everyone wanted to get in. And I, I'm, I'm not going to call it wrong, but everybody wanted to get in to make a quick buck thinking that they could make a quick buck. Uh, and then that kind of turned just into being part of the movement and saying, ah, oh, you know what? I recognize. I learned a little bit more about what's happening. I recognize what's going on, and I'm gonna hold my shares because, you know, I'm trying to stick it to the man. Whatever the case is. But the amount of energy and interest that I feel like has fled over into or bled over is a better word into cryptocurrencies because of this, because people were looking at this and saying, how can they get away with that? How can Wall Street get away with that? And then all you have all the cryptocurrency uh, evangelists coming out and saying, well, that's what Bitcoin is for. That's what crypto is for. And so people started exploring that. And we already know just from you know, the the Bitcoin four-year cycle that 2021 will probably be a bigger year that the happening happened last year. And I know I'm, for those of you who don't know much about cryptocurrency, I don't want to get too far into it. And my, my point is to actually give you guys resources into the stuff that I, I've used to educate myself uh, because I, I think about the space a lot. And crypto in general, it's the future. It, it really is in, in so many ways. And I, it sounds so cliche when I say it like that, um, but everything that I've learned, everything that I've come across, it just, it makes sense on the basis that the internet is here to stay. 
the internet is here to stay. And if you look at how the internet has changed our lives in the past 20 to 25 years, changed society in the last 20 to 25 years, it's tremendous. And now for the first time, there is a decentralized financial network, right? Like starting with Bitcoin, but of course going to all these other, all these other coins and currencies that are popping up. Um, and it's just fascinating to watch the space grow and grow and grow and really the intellectual capital that is involved with all of this. So, um, you know, for me, I, I think it's definitely worth educating yourself on. I'm not a financial advisor by any means, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you to buy or when to buy or what to buy. Um, I, I will just say from my own experience that looking at Bitcoin specifically, for example, uh, I do believe the use case of it being not necessarily a day-to-day -day currency, but it has already defined itself to be a phenomenal store of value. And so therefore, it, it is, in a sense, gold 2.0. There's a hard cap. There will only ever be 21 million coins, of which some of them have been lost already. And because of that, you're starting to see a lot of companies, corporate entities, buy it to put on their balance sheet because of inflation, because of how much money is being printed, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Uh, and you're starting to see institutional investors start to dip their toes. So uh, I think Ray Dalio just a couple of days ago, maybe, maybe within this past week, came out and publicly said that Bitcoin is one hell of an invention, right? And Ray Dalio, famed investor, you've had uh, Paul Tudor Jones, Stanley Druckenmiller. Um, and, you know, I, I've only heard the sound bites from those guys. Uh, I haven't necessarily heard all the details. And, and so I, I don't want to speak too much to what's happening with them. But the other people in the space that I think are worth following, and, and my, my short list that I created here, um, that first got me in, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos is a, like, he's all in on Bitcoin. Uh, he wrote the book, and let me go ahead and make sure that I, I'm getting this stuff correct for you guys, because I don't want to, um, I don't want to give the wrong information. And it will be available on the show notes as well. All right, so Andreas Antonopoulos, I've been listening to and following his work since 2017. Um, the Internet of Money, that was a phenomenal book. And then he also has Mastering Bitcoin, which I haven't had a chance to read yet. But that just gives, and if you listen to any of his lectures or follow his work, please go and, and support him and check out his YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter as well. His his outlook on Bitcoin and what the future of it is and how he defines it as the Internet 2.0 is absolutely fascinating, right? Because we've had the Internet for, I don't know, three, almost three decades now, coming up on three decades, maybe, um, or two and a half decades, however you want to. However you want to put it, I, I the first time I ever jumped online was probably late '90s, right? So back half of the '90s. So we're we're above two decades at this point, and you can see, starting from dial-up and AOL to now having internet anywhere I go is is amazing. So um, when he's talking about this being the foundation that the internet, the next level of the internet, and therefore the financial 
version or like the native currency of the internet will be built upon, I think is incredible. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of really interesting analysis that he does. And so that would be number one. Number two, uh, and, and, and he's only recently got me, <laughs> he's only recently come out as a Bitcoin kind of evangelist, but he's gone super hard, is Michael Saylor. And if you haven't heard the name, uh, he's the CEO of MicroStrategy. They, um, they bought, or he, he is part of MicroStrategy, bought, I think it was like almost $500 million of Bitcoin uh, to put on their balance sheet. Uh, and this was at some point last year. And he's continued buying and just this past week did a corporate our, our conference, a virtual conference, to teach other corporations how to do the same. And his outlook is sometimes extreme, yet he backs it up, right? He looks at this and says, you know, the dollar is inflating at a certain level. Gold is inflating at a certain level. The only hard store of value would be Bitcoin. So, you know, the analysis that he uses of like, if somebody was going to come in and, and burn 2% of your cash every year, you know, wouldn't you want to find something that would allow you to not lose your wealth over a hundred year time frame uh, if you were trying to plan ahead for your future generations. So it's it's an interesting insight because he looks at this from a very long-term corporate standpoint. And I think that, that that's important and it helps shape the personal narrative because it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this isn't just about corporations anymore. Like this is about my financial future and the financial future and legacy that I want to leave for, for, you know, my kids and my grandkids and, and all my heirs. So I think that there's, there's a lot of fascinating things and I'll, I'll share an interview that he did and he's done a lot of interviews lately. He's been all over it, like I said, but the, the first interview that I saw with him was with, um, Raul Paul on the real vision network. So I'll share that in the show notes that, that kind of opened my eyes. But if you look, if you just type in Michael Saylor on YouTube, you'll probably find a bunch of interviews with him that, uh, you know, he'll, he'll go into quite a bit of depth on. So that will be number two. And then I want to give one more because this is a little bit newer for me, but I've really enjoyed his analysis. Uh, and when I say his, this would be uh, Preston Pish, and I'll share his YouTube channel, but I also believe he is part of, well, well, I'll, l l let's do this. I'll go ahead and share share his YouTube channel. Uh, I th with, with Preston, you know, he's obviously big on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but what I appreciate from him, and to a certain extent, also, you'll, you'll see uh, Raul Paul is the same. I hope I'm saying his name right. Raul Paul, Paul, Paul um, in the interview with Michael Saylor. These guys are, are, are macro in, you know, the macro investors in the sense that they're looking at the market as a whole. And um, I think that they are, their perspectives on, on what's happening pre and then also post covid uh, it sheds a lot of light on, on where our future is, is going and what, you know, um, what we can expect in terms of inflation and, and printing of money and interest rates. So again, like some, some of this stuff is like super, super detailed and it's taken me a while to work my way through the dense area of this. And, and I understand that like I, when I, when I get into something, like I can obsess about it and really dig deep into the weeds. And that may be not what you guys are looking for, but there's definitely 
uh, little nuggets of information and gold, <laughs> pun intended, gold 2.0, pun intended, um, to be gained from just hearing people talk about what the future financial situation looks like, not just for the U.S., but for the world. Because I think, again, and this comes down to financial literacy, where a lot of people, and I, I used to be one of them, just don't think about this stuff. Uh, it doesn't cross your day-to-day, and, and um, sometimes you are stuck just trying to figure out where your next meal will come from or where your next paycheck or, um, you know, how you're going to pay rent at the end of the month. And I, and I completely, um, and I completely understand that being something that takes priority. Uh, but if you do have the chance, uh, to learn more and educate yourself about this, I, I think that there's tremendous value in terms of being able to understand and navigate where we are going as a society and where the financial system is headed uh, as we get further into 2021 and and in this decade, right? Because we've seen Bitcoin now be around for 11, almost 12 years at this point, maybe 12 years. I don't know when in 2009 it came out, but 2009 is is when uh, it had first started. And um, I think that You've seen the growth, and I think it will only continue to grow as institutional investors, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, really start to take, uh, really start to grapple with this and, and dip their toes. And, and remember, these are, some <laughs> these are some gigantic toes, right, when you're talking about hedge funds and institutions and endowments that have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that even if they put just a percent, small percent of their net worth into um, you know, that, that can make the space grow quite a bit. So Bitcoin is, is the king and I don't see anything really changing with that, or I haven't seen or read anything that will change that. Uh, I like the analogy that Bitcoin is gold 2.0 and Ethereum is oil 2.0. And there is an element of, well, you know, with Ethereum, we're not really sure where it's headed, but there's just so there's so much intellectual capital there that it's a fascinating space to watch and to see how that will be shaped as as things go along. And um, you know, aside from that, there's a lot of other altcoins that I would I would probably need to educate myself on more. I definitely don't want to talk about them here. The the only other one that I'll mention because it's so hot right now and because it's so confusing is Dogecoin, or as I like to call it, and I got, I got my mom calling it Doggy Coin too. So we're gonna call it Doggy Coin on this podcast. But what's what's interesting about that, and, and for just just a quick breakdown, Doggy Coin. <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying it now. Doggy Coin is like the exact opposite of Bitcoin. It's an inflationary currency and not a deflationary currency, meaning that there's no hard cap. Every year, five billion more doggy coins get printed. Whereas with Bitcoin, there is a hard cap, and even though we print more every every year or every you know every block that comes out, that number is going to reduce until we hit the the finite um, twenty one million cap. So, what's what's fascinates me about doggy coin is the amount of interest that has popped into it, and I think. I think a lot of it is due to the fact that it is available to speculate on. You can't necessarily buy the coins, but you can buy into it on Robinhood. And Robinhood, the brokerage is is uh, very widespread, right? So like you know, it's it's very highly used. And I don't know what's going to happen after all of this 
um, GameStop GameStop stuff comes through, but people who saw what was happening with GameStop looked at Doggy Coin. It was like less than a penny or a penny at that time, and it's seven x um, at least as of today, the day of the Super Bowl. Where I don't I don't know what's happening with it, but there's this movement trying to get it to a dollar. And from a market cap standpoint, that would put it at like the third highest cryptocurrency, which sounds ridiculous. And yet there's this community that's built around it. There's a lot of people who look at it and say, okay, well, there's a place to make a quick buck here. It's a pump and dump scheme. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to think about it. I know from a fundamental standpoint, it is the opposite of Bitcoin. And therefore, and, and the fact that it was created as a joke really means that it should not, <laughs> it should not be around anymore or it shouldn't have succeeded in the way that it is. But I think what we're seeing, and this is kind of, in my mind, if I can rationalize where Elon Musk is coming from when he said, you know, the most sometimes the most out like um, unlikely outcome is is that what ends up happening. People that people don't expect. I can see where he's coming from with that. And whether he's joking or not, I can still maybe read between the lines or at least understand that even if he's joking about it, there are people who now look at this, believe in it. And can are trying to get it to one dollar, buy and hold, buy and hold. And and granted, like it's an inflationary currency, but what's interesting about it is that you know over time, five billion new coins get get printed every year. But over time, the level of inflation will decrease dramatically uh, from a percentage standpoint, right? Like you print five billion this year, and let's say there's a hundred billion coins, you print five percent that are five billion. That's five percent, but the following year, you print another five or you mine another, however, or whatever it's called, because I don't, I don't know as much about doggy coin, but you add another five billion, but that's five billion over 105. Therefore, the percentage inflation will be less than 5%. And every year it'll continue to decline. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to see for full disclosure. I mean, I threw, I threw some, some cap capital in there and I don't know what will happen, but, um, you know, the fact that it has such a strong community around it and it's like constantly trending on Twitter makes me believe that there is something, I don't want to say something there, but something interesting going on with the macroeconomic level of like, sometimes, sometimes uh, you know, and I think back to Malcolm Gladwell's like tipping point, right? Sometimes it being in the right place at the right time and gaining the momentum even if it doesn't have the fundamentals that other currencies have, um, can propel it to a level where it can be actually of value. And um, you know, and, and obviously there's people making tons of money on it, and there's probably people losing money too. So I'm not saying to buy in or whatever the case is. I, I'm just more fascinated by what's happening in terms of the social movement around it. Um, and looking at the fundamentals, it doesn't make sense. Yet there's something that tells me that fundamentals aren't all that's required to see something succeed, right? And uh, if it does get enough coverage or if it does get enough um, of, of a support system, like who knows what, what could happen in terms of if there ever is a hard cap put on it, I mean, that would be huge, right? So again, I'm just totally speculating here and I, I'm not trying to... to dig in or tell people what I think will be it'll be worth uh there is a movement to try and get doggy coin to a dollar as of today I think I saw it at like seven cents which is ridiculous because a couple of weeks ago it was less than a penny so you know you can say 
there are people who have been able to 7x their money in that short time frame, which is, hey, you know, sometimes you can't beat that. So that, those are my thoughts on Dogecoin. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be following what's happening with it. And I don't know if, well, no, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm going to be following what's happening with it. If you guys, so here's the thing. All right, like I, we got super into the weeds. I'm a musician, <laughs> right? This is a podcast by a musician and we're talking super advanced. Oh, not even that super advanced, but I feel like I'm digging too far into the weeds. So if you guys like this stuff, let me know. I'm always happy to talk about it because, you know, outside of music, uh, finance and macroeconomics are spaces that I, I enjoy following and uh, regularly read and try to educate myself on. So um, it's... It's just a fascinating space to me, and I think it's a space that will continue to grow. And therefore, I kind of wanted to just get this out on on digital, on Wax, right? Like where it's just, it's here. I'm doing this podcast to talk about the fact that I'm interested in kind of documenting my journey throughout. Um, and I'm not trying to make any predictions on what will happen, even though I probably could. But I don't I don't feel like that's the appropriate thing to do. My, my whole point with this this podcast was to share the resources that I'm looking at too, because I believe in the space as a whole and I believe in where the technology is going. And, and so therefore, for those of you who are listening and supporting me, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the best investment, but I think it's worth learning about. And you can make your own decisions from there, do your own due diligence. I am not a financial advisor. I'll say that one more time. But uh, I think learning about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, especially following what happened with GameStop is a prudent move from a financial standpoint and will hopefully open doors to to those of you that do want to go down the rabbit hole, uh, open doors of, of where, where the future might might be heading. So I'll leave it at that. There'll be a ton of links in the show notes today. So definitely sink your teeth into those and let me know what you think. Um, there are, there's one one honorable mention, and I want I it's uh, she shouldn't she shouldn't even be an honor, honorable mention. I just haven't had a chance to dig into her work, but I've become a huge fan of Lynn Alden. So I'll share I'll share um, a link to her website as well. Uh, she has a newsletter, and she's doing a bunch of interviews. If you have a chance to check her out too, uh, she's she's not uh, a, I wouldn't say like a Bitcoin evangelist. She's a very um, very technical data-driven macro investor that looks at all different sectors. Uh, but last year she, she kind of opened her, she, she put out a report about Bitcoin and why she believes that it will continue to grow as a space. And because of that, I started following her work and her interviews and just incredibly smart lady. And, um, I think that it's worth, worth checking her out too. So, sorry, I did not mean to leave that for last. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned it. I just haven't had a time to dive into, into her work as much, uh, as I wanted to before jumping onto this episode. So that being said, guys, uh, let's take one last sip together. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a phenomenal week and more new music on the way. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, just one little housekeeping thing. I did finally post the Collide lyric video. So that is up and more covers and fun stuff on the way. All right. Have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you all soon.